Everything's recording. I'm recording. Audio's going. We're good to go. So we're live. We're Episode live. two, and we got it going. How's everybody feeling today? First excited. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Episode two, ironing out those technical issues slowly. Hey, we'll have some fun with it, and uh, we'll keep this thing rolling. Um, anything interesting happened in the past couple of weeks since we saw each other last? I know, Benjamin, it's been a little while since we've seen you, too. Well, nothing much, except that... Uh... Stephen Hawking died. Yeah. So that was uh, really sad news. Yeah. So he died on Pi Day and on Albert Einstein's birthday. Yeah. So that's interesting. I, I blame the Illuminati or something. Yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy theories. Um, it's actually pretty crazy. So he had ALS. Um, my dad actually had ALS. Uh, he lived with it for, I want to say, around four or five years before he passed away. Um, so it's usually a fast acting disease, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's, it's interesting that Stephen Hawking of all people got like a slow onset of ALS that attacked him and he was able to live with it. Cause when they, he got first diagnosed with it, he was given two to three years to live. And, well, and what he, year was that? That was way back in the sixties, I believe 67. So back when they barely knew anything about ALS that yet. And still they don't know that much, but, um, it's, it's crazy that he was able to live that long. And, um, obviously he's been a huge contribution in, to the like astrophysics community of, of everything, but just in terms of um, what science can do, right? And what a, an intelligent mind can offer uh, the world. And the effects that he had. You think of if, if it wasn't, if Stephen Hawking isn't the person that he is, is our world as far along? Have we accomplished these same things? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. It's always sad to lose somebody, especially great minds. But, you know, the fact that he did get to live and, and he had a, his wife and family. I'm trying to think if yeah. he had yeah. children too. Uh, I don't but know if he had he children. Had children. Did he? Three children. Okay. Yeah, he had yeah. Three children. But uh, to actually get to live life to its fullest and to accomplish everything that he did—that's such an amazing and inspiring person for sure. Um, so that's our pseudo intro. But uh, here's the welcome to episode two, and uh, I'm going to pass it over to Benjamin. So we do have somebody new on this. Uh, Round table. I'll say round table, but it's actually more rectangular. Uh, so, Benjamin, your full name, profession, and maybe a quick story that has led you to where you are and your definition of personal success or career goal. Right. Uh, first of all, I'm really sorry I missed the last, uh, the first uh, recording. Hey, you were sick. I really was excited to be there, but something happened. Uh, my name is Benjamin Karimi. And I'm, a, uh, I'm doing my PhD in neuroscience. Uh, to, be, uh, to be honest, one of the uh, great achievements of my life is uh, being able to have something to say uh, in the world of science. It's not achievement, it's lifetime goal. I have to better correct it. To have something to say in the, in the uh, world of science especially uh, in the uh, domain of neuroscience. But in general, having a, uh, I think the uh, personal success is having achieved what you're always been dreaming of. It's, yeah. It might have been uh, what, what, you are, what you truly want. Because you, in, whenever, when you grow up, you, you're being forced by, by your peers, by your parents, by... Um, the school, by the system, to choose something, to do something. But 
what you truly want is different. And that's what you, gives you the happiness. And if you do something that you want, like they say, you, uh, for your rest of life, you don't have to work anymore. You're just yeah. having fun. It's interesting because I would say, in a lot of ways, that's what led us here was, especially in my own life, it was, what is my life lacking? Because I, I just felt that there was something that I've, I've always felt that I've had these ideas, I've had some kind of a voice, and I always wanted some kind of outlet but maybe for whatever reason was scared or didn't like to pursue those things. So to actually be here talking on microphones, but actually talking about our experiences, talking about the world and what it means to be a young professional and even, you know, the trials and tribulations of that, but maybe the successes that we've been through too. So I think there's just such a, there's such a bond between that. And I feel like not enough people talk about that. I mean, you have the people in the world especially very successful people that use their platform in a good way. You, I mean, there's a lot of social media, I think, like Will Smith and Kevin Hart, where they're yep. always telling inspirational things. But rarely do you find people that are going through the same experiences, getting together, talking about it, and that sense of community that comes with that. And I think that's what I'm excited about with this, but even the group in general and getting like-minded people together and having those conversations. Oh, it's it's amazing that we live in an age, and uh, I know I spoke last time of the uh, kind of a downside of technology and communication and social media, but at the same time, it, it's a very positive thing, right? So we can all share these stories of, of where we came from. Like, it's, it's interesting because you don't get to see that, or people in the past have not gotten to see that. Like, how did Michael Jordan get to be Michael Jordan, right? He didn't just turn into this famous crazy basketball player overnight it was through years and years of hard work and and he shares that story now right my favorite michael jordan story i think he was he was cut from his freshman basketball team so when he when he was in grade nine i don't know if it was he was cut from the varsity team or cut from the freshman i think he was cut altogether. so he that motivated him though it's funny how those you can either choose to quit at that moment you could he could have said okay, well, I wasn't picked, so my dreams are crushed. I got to find another sport. I got to find something else. But, you know, his work ethic is uncanny. But to become Michael Jordan, imagine the hours he's putting in the gym, just shooting, getting better, and and putting into his game. So, yeah, that's somebody who does have that inspiration. To go from that, and he's retired now from basketball, but he's a successful businessman now. Yeah. He owns many companies. Uh, he owns the Air Jordan franchise, which is, I believe, delivered through Nike, right? Yeah. Um, and which is a multi-million dollar company, um, along with, I think, other three other companies that he owns. Uh, I'm not sure what else he is. I know he owns one of the teams as well. I'm not sure which yeah. team. He was involved with the Orlando Magic, I believe, right okay. after. Didn't he play for them for a year or two? When I he forget. came back? Yeah, when he came yeah. back. Yeah, that, that was short career didn't work. Very well for him, but <laughs> hey, Space but you, Jam. <laughs> Space you know Jam was a great movie. <laughs> People laugh at him, but he, I mean, that's the, I feel like that's the definition of success. He was be, he was willing to put himself out there, even though it didn't always work out, in order to try new things and find his niche and what he wanted to do. He didn't settle just for basketball. He wanted to do this huge array of things, and now it's his business. And there's plenty of other stories like that. I feel there's tons of people that transition into successful careers and other things. I almost think it's once you reach that pinnacle in one area, you learn, you know the work ethic it takes to get good at something. So you have the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of the world who went from 
bodybuilding to acting to politics. And to be honest, did a, a great job at all, all of them. I can't really speak about the politics because I didn't live in California, the <laughs> governor. But at the same time, you have wrestlers like Triple H who then kind of become involved or even The Rock going into acting. So there's a lot of guys and a lot of people in general. We should come up with some female examples, I'm sure. But, um, but that are able to transition just success in one area to a lot of different areas. Oprah Winfrey. There Oprah you go. Winfrey. Yeah. Maybe the most powerful. <laughs> She's not running for president. So we, well, as of now, maybe oh. she'll do it in a couple of You never of know. Years. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I always see ads on TV for the Weight Watchers thing that she, she's a part of now. I guess that's her thing. Um, but, yeah, I guess she doesn't have her show anymore, right? No, there's no Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. Everybody gets free things. Everybody gets free cars at the end of the show. Definitely one of the most influential women um, alive today. And um, it's crazy because uh, uh, TV executives told her that she was not fit for TV. And she became the most successful or first most successful per- woman on TV. Yeah. Which is crazy. That's insane. So, so inspiring to have successful people just especially to idolize and, and that want to do good things in the world. I've heard mixed things on Oprah just as a person, but obviously somebody like that has to be so structured and have you know, they want everything to go perfectly and to be organized. And so it makes sense that strong personalities, which I would say she has one, get to those high levels of success in whatever venue or venture it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll transition a little bit. So I wanted to talk a little bit about social frames and maybe how our social frame feels a little bit empty. I was thinking in terms of music, uh, when you listen to the lyrics and even how we're socially conditioned through advertising and even the, the way we're raised to potentially want things more so than fulfillment or um, some kind of inner happiness or fulfillment, happiness, whatever it is. Um, so when I was looking at your notes um, for the podcast today, uh, music kind of struck me as an interesting subject. Uh, and you kind of made a side note of, of lyrics. Um, but it's kind of interesting to me be, just because I listen to a very specific kind of music, electronica, um, <laughs> as well as uh, classical music. So very different forms of music, um, and uh, which tend to be very lyricless. So my music, and especially when I'm I'm studying or reading or writing. Um, it tends to be my focus music or at the gym, electronica for the gym and then classical music for studying, right? So it kind of puts me in that, that, that frame of mind where I can focus. Whereas if I were to listen to something like rap, which has, is basically based on the lyrics or poetry, uh, if you want to go there, <laughs> um, it's, it's hard for me because you're listening to the words rather than, uh, focusing on what you're working on. Yeah. I, I would say I, I do uh, something, I make a lot of different playlists, and that's always been a passion of mine. To I, I believe that there's music for every situation in life in a strange way. So to me, it's always a challenge to find, well, what fits? Yesterday was a, a prison arms workout, so literally not putting down the dumbbells and just doing a bunch of different bicep and yeah. tricep exercises. But I find at those points, when you're just trying to push through and you need a little bit of that anger. So I'll listen to heavy metal or, or rap music. And then in other situations, similar to you when I'm studying 
or when I'm trying to be productive. You almost want less lyrics. But it's funny, I found, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Glitch Mob, but I find they're one yeah. that is... Oh, I love the Glitch I Mob. I love it for running and also studying because they're long, drawn-out songs. They're electronic, but they kind of have... You can hear the message behind it a little bit. Yeah. And, and it almost has the same effect, I would say, as classical music, where you're listening to the journey as opposed to just sounds. When we think of electronics, sometimes you think of Skrillex, where it's just like crazy, it's just crazy noises. Overwhelmed with noises, right? As Yeah, Glitch Mob seems a little more uh, purposeful or uh, on purpose, I guess, in the way they construct their music. Yeah. Like you said, there seems to be like a story behind the song or something. And, and when you hear a Glitch Mob song, it's very much a Glitch Mob song. You don't think of anyone else. They have a very unique sound that, that fits them, which is what I like about them as well. Um, and their music is actually used in a lot of uh, motivational videos I've seen even on YouTube, which is, is really interesting, or a lot of parkour videos as well, which is really cool um, uh, that their music's used that way and kind of taken that way to put towards something that's kind of breaking barriers in a sense, because I think that's kind of what their music's about. Yeah. Benjamin, how do you feel of the current state of music and maybe in terms of the social frame and how interesting that you asked. Um, like Jay said, when I saw the music, it was really interesting because it reminded me of, um, there was a study that said uh, people who are happy usually tend to uh, listen to rhythm of rhythm of the music, sounds the music makes. And people who are sad or, or um, focusing on something try to uh, listen to the lyrics. That's why many happy musics don't have much lyrics. They're just a bunch of beats and rhythms. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I, I've always been a lyrics guy. So, especially because uh, in Persian musics, you have all these uh, Persians are known for the poems, right? Okay. Like Rumi or the uh, many others. So many of traditional musics are formed around how, to, uh, how the uh, instrument answers to that lyrics so the instrument and lyrics go hand in hand so that music just is kind of answering to that lyrics so if you, when you grow up in that you feel like later you are more attracted to our more uh, music with lyrics but that said i also love uh, classical music beethoven bach <clears throat> no yeah mozart mozart yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah, so I, again, yeah, that, that music I love for studying purposes. I, I do listen to my fair share of songs with lyrics, but it tends to be what I hear in the gym uh, as I train my clients. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of a catchy song. And so I add it to my Spotify playlist. <laughs> yeah, I find Spotify so effective and so great. But I actually kind of, I've never been very passionate about classical music. And I see myself now more so, but... I would say on the flip side of that, I grew up in a very musical family. We all kind of tried our different instruments. It very much comes from my grandfather's side. He played the trumpet and sang in bands his whole life. And I played a couple of years of piano because my parents refused to buy me a drum set until I showed that I was passionate enough about music. They didn't want me just banging on things and making a lot of noise. So eventually, after a couple of years of that, they bought me a drum set, and I stuck with it for about five years. Then sports, it, it hits that time, especially in high school, where people want you to uh, specialize, I would say, in, in a certain skill or a certain 
um, just a certain area in life. And, and so sports went out and football went out for me. And I got away from music, but it's been interesting now. And I think I talked about it a little bit last time, but uh, in terms of I've kind of come all the way back around. And it was a little bit from the first meetup and talking to Mustafa the first time. Uh, but I started trying comedy and then I ended up doing music as well for the first time. And that experience was it was terrifying to actually sing in front of people. I went to a coffee shop and I the first time I did more of a karaoke version and then I did just acoustics in the background and sang on the microphone. And then I ended up investing in a Cayon, a Peruvian hand drum. Nice. And learning that I actually bought it on the Sunday and performed with it on the Wednesday and did fairly well, I would say, considering trying to get back the rhythms and be able to play a drum at the same time as sing. But it's been a really rewarding experience. And it's also made me look at music a little bit differently and and think what kind of artists or what do I want to project or what kind of songs do I want to sing? What can I sing? Because obviously I'm not hitting certain notes in Aerosmith songs. I'm thinking, <laughs> dream on! <laughs> and, and trying to hit those high notes. But Good for you for just even attempting that, though. I can't even imagine singing. I mean, there was a time before puberty where I could hit those high <laughs> notes. As But as you can tell, even now, I sound very monotone. My voice, I'll sing in my car, don't get me wrong. But I'm like, I'm hitting those high notes. or I think I'm hitting those high notes, but I'm not. It's just I turn the music loud enough to not hear my own voice <laughs> because I'm so monotone. And uh, I guess my voice is very low. As yeah. puberty tends to do to uh, the male generation or the male species. You blame your testosterone for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too much testosterone. Yeah, that's no, that's true because um, when the uh, there are two, I guess if I'm not wrong, there are two two stages that testosterone kicks in. One of them is that the when your embryo goes from goes to males or to art male or female, mm-hmm. and then later in puberty, it changes everything. So that's why males are. In every, in most animals, males are at least in mammals, males bigger or have a rough voice kind of thing. I would like my yeah. singing voice back. That would be. Uh... Well, you you have to give something back, other things back too. So I don't think you want to give those back. So. <laughs> so yeah, and then there's the other side. So I think we've talked a lot about the positive side of music and how it affects us, and there's so many things that it can so many ways it can enrich our lives whether it's whether it is helping us study whether it is performing or singing along or it kind of can follow those moods and even get you through rough times or be in the fun times and so it's it's one of the victories of mankind is what i would say is being able to play music and perform music and how it's involved in our in our life in our lives um but then there's the other side so there's the emptiness and i i would say there's a lot of one of the things that I'm thinking is is the more you listen to certain types of music and involve yourself, like you think of the rockers and the and you start to take on that lifestyle, and sometimes for better or worse. So if you're listening to a lot of rap music, which I'm hypocritical because I listen to rap music and I like a lot of it, but I've been conscious about it now when it's you're listening to something filled with a lot of times hatred. Um, demoralization of women, especially in rap music, um, or in terms of top 40s music where there's just nothing under the surface. It's baby this, baby that, and that's all you really get from it. And yeah, some great production teams and, and 
you have some great beats behind it, but it doesn't necessarily have any kind of message or any kind of value intrinsically. So in terms of uh, rap music, do you think, so the demoralization of, uh, of women in rap music, do you think that's still a huge issue? I feel like it has gone down to some extent. Like It depends who you listen to, but still that's involved in the culture. You think of rap culture, I think of rap culture, I think of the NBA, the NFL, and then you go, okay, well, what are some of the issues of that? Well, we're going to throw well, a bunch are, of money in the strip club. We're going to... Well, and those are highly male-driven industries too, yeah. right? And and especially being involved in in in, 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 a, in a certain sense and at a certain level, it's yeah that that culture permeates and it is the predominant culture that that persists in those. So yeah, I I would say, and you listen to mumble rap and some really idiotic things, but I I still think there is that overwhelming sentiment of negativity towards women and and I don't know and. Beyond that, I'm not sure what the the answer is because I think that music's still going to exist. It's freedom of expression, freedom of speech. So it's an I, art form too. At the end of the day, what right? we should do is maybe teach people to be more mindful of what they're listening to and kind of show that there is an effect on your lifestyle on what type of music you listen to. Don't they say something like babies are smarter if you play them classical music while they're in the wombs? Is that true? Or maybe when they're a child in the developmental stages because it would build certain uh, neurosynapses and things. I want to believe it. I mean, when you think of things like classical music, usually you think of a higher intelligence too, <laughs> that I, which doesn't necessarily coincide. But whereas like, I mean, we, we hold Beethoven in a higher regard than someone like 50 Cent for sure. Or at least I do. Maybe not the young millennials these days, but I like for back then, Beethoven, for someone who was nearly fully deaf, to create such works of art that even to today are listened to and sampled upon and just highly regarded in the art world yeah. and music world. I'm not sure 50 Cent is going to have the kind of longevity that Beethoven had or Mozart or anybody. I, and nothing against 50 Cent. I mean, I, I, I have a hard time talking to Mozart rap music. Dark, 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 Mozart died very young, 30-something, I guess. What's that? Mozart died very young. He was like 30-something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, well, what what century was that in? I don't know, probably 16, 17. Yeah, I wish I remembered the, wish I paid attention in, in musical in history, theory class. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't claim to know a lot about music or its history, um, but yeah, that is, that is very young. Um, but also, I guess the... Well, you, you, you also have to consider, like, the, in those times, like, Living past 50 or 60 was very... Uh, was considered rare. Extraordinary achievement yeah. due to all the disease. Everything For sure. Was, yeah. So, yeah, people had to, to achieve things at a younger age yeah. in order to... Whereas now, we're living to 80 plus. Um, most of us don't achieve it as much. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, about the classical music and babies, uh, I'm not sure if that's pseudoscience or uh, exactly proven. Well, I know that if, when you uh, have something that's harmonious, it's uh, better, like a soft voice. Well, I know, I know they've done studies. Except that other than uh, shakes or... I know there have been studies been done on, not necessarily babies, but on students yeah. that listen to classical music before an exam yeah. uh, while they're studying, perform better. Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, that 
has been done time yeah, and time again. Yeah, because it's like it's uh, harmonious, it's uh, smooth and soothes your. So if they're performing better, we could think that youth would then be able to at least ingrain some of it. If it's got that kind of steady aspect to it, it yeah. might have some kind of effect. And the more input you you put into the brain, the earlier, the better outcome you can get because it's uh, not uh, as many cells as you have because they all have the same number of cells, the connections that, this, that those cells make. Yeah. Well, and we're we're built as human beings, right, yeah. to to take in everything. Um, at a young age, right? So that we absorb everything. So what, especially when parents talk and they don't think their kids listening in the background, they they are. Yeah, one they of actually the pick up more than my accent is different from you guys is because I learned English much uh, later in life. Right. And that part of my brain is shaped into my own native tongue than in English. So no matter how much I try, I'll never get that accent. So will an English person speaking uh, English speaking person will not get the accent in others other languages. I believe it's something around the age of twelve or thirteen. Your your vocal muscles and cords are kind of set, so you've developed your accent of whatever your foreign or foreign whatever your native tongue is. I so I'll never be British, is what you're saying? Well, you could go Madonna no, no, on it. Accents just are it different. Okay. Yeah, because you are already an English speaker, so you can try and have that accent. I'm terrible. But I'm at guessing it's gonna too. it's gonna still sound fake for uh, someone that's really uh, sharp. And speaking of brain connections, the company just uh, announced Netcom. I guess announced that they're gonna they got they have the ability or they're gonna have the ability to uh, reserve or conserve all the uh, brain connections in the human brain. But they're gonna need the person to be at the uh, to be alive. Otherwise, because uh, the moment that you die, your brain cells start to die, and they die in exponential rates. So, uh, yeah, and so they, they're and many other companies have uh, I forgot the name of other investors, but they are investing in the in the netcom for this reason. So uh, that's oh, really? crazy. Seems so strange that we're in a time where you might be able to conserve your memories or some part of you or your brain synapses yeah. or. Freeze your brain, and maybe they can put it in some kind of machine. Well, that that's not gonna work. Netcom Netcom kind of says that that's not gonna work because we need the brain alive. So if you're at your uh, later stages of life or you're at the end stage, you're dying, we can help you by preserving your memories. It's not it's not gonna preserve your consciousness. So it's not gonna be you. It's gonna be your memories, all the information you have. So it's gonna later it might turn into a collective memory of two thousand and people that live from two thousand ten to two thousand eight. Was this the same company, though, that when you give them that information and those memories that you are, it'll biologically kill you, so you are yep, dead? Yep, you're dead. That seems, seems like a steep price to pay for the potential of conserving your memories. Well, that's what they say. Sense. They say if, if you're crazy. at the, your end stage, you might want to, and, they, and they, you have to pay $10,000, and 25 people have already registered. So, Well, I'm going to be like <laughs> the chicken and cross the road to the other side. <laughs> There might well, who knows? And that's a different that's a different topic altogether. Oh, for sure. Uh, that brings topic in. for all generations <laughs> and mankind from its we, beginning to its end. Kind of wonder. We searched yeah. spirituality a lot last time. So one of the things that came up a little bit was talking about history, and I wanted to talk about a little bit of the importance of understanding history, especially to in terms of today's current social, political, and economic climate. One of the quotes that came up that I really like is, those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it, 
And I tried to find the, the origin of this quote, and it's attributed a little bit to writer and philosopher George Santayana. I hope I'm saying that right. It's just the name. And in its original form, it read, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So he was born in Rome, Italy, was a philosopher, essayist, poet, and novelist. And so, yeah, I just think, do we place enough focus on learning history and learning where we came from and learning about the past? Or do we kind of blindly go through our current social and political and economical landscape? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I've been doing a lot lately is listening to Dan Carlin, and I've just started listening to Daniele Bolelli. Great name, and also he's Italian, so he's got the great accent to listen to, too. But uh, with Dan Carlin, I've listened to, he has one series that was Wrath of the Cons, which I didn't know a ton previous to about, uh, it starts with Genghis Khan, but goes all the way to Kublai Khan, and kind of how they ended up taking over most of the, honestly, if if the same things didn't happen, a lot of them uh, died very young as well. And so it always left a little bit of chaos in its wake, which they, they may have been able to get into Europe and then take over all of Europe. But through these transition, it was always one brother fighting the other. And so for five years, they wouldn't have the, oh, I wish I remembered the word, but uh, they, they would have a gathering to select. And a lot of people wouldn't show up because they would expect they would be killed if they showed up because their brother, if, if elected Khan, would then want to rid everyone else who might take his place. So that was one of the most interesting series I've listened to, but both of them have some interesting just... Dan Carlin's a little bit more focused on, I would say, full peoples and kind of the social aspect of it. And then Daniele goes into a little bit more of individuals in history too. So that's kind of been my passion towards it so far, but... Yeah. Do we, do we find that people now know enough about history? No. I don't no, think. Yeah. Um, recorded, well, think of recorded history. It doesn't go back that far, right? Um, and there's, but what we do have, there's a lot of. And I don't think um, they teach, I mean, there are history courses that you can take in high school, or I don't know if they make you, at least in Canada. I think you have to take at least one history course. Um, they don't. There's not enough. There's too, or there's too much material for them to teach you in one year. I mean, it takes. I think it takes a lifetime to learn what happened in history, and I, I think we're doomed to repeat some of the mistakes we have in the past. But I mean, that's inevitably how we learn. Obviously, we want to avoid certain mistakes. Like hopefully, in future generations, they can look back on and see kind of the um, consequences of the atomic bomb and. Like, hey, we'll reinvent it and bigger and better. And be like, we don't need to use this, right? We don't, which is kind of what we learned right now, right? They, they could have kept making it bigger and bigger and bigger, and they didn't. So they have we, in a few ways. Well, They've yeah. made it more effective, and they've made their tracking systems and defenses <laughs> and things. But, yeah, it, it seems once you have the technology to destroy the world, why would you go further than that? What, what do we need to do to destroy our complete galaxy? Yeah. It seems it seems kind of redundant. Yeah, what does it prove? Like if well, you if you can sell the weapons, why not? 
that's what that's how they think i guess so if you if they can sell the weapon to someone and make lots of money why not unfortunately <laughs> yeah profit, yeah, that's why and, they, profit yeah. and power right yeah it seems funny now too because before you think of throughout history you're trying to make your own people stronger so it does make sense to have weaponry that you're you want to protect your people and and there were a lot of conquerors through history you can't really form judgment on that because we weren't alive and you're going to be competing over resources. You're going to be competing over, yeah, all, I mean, resources has been the most, um, one of the most widespread. And then on the other side, I guess you have con- colonialism, which is, you could probably say, our world isn't the same without it because you don't have peoples from all over the globe meeting each other and then forming eventually trade obviously there was a lot of death and destruction and chaos involved with that but now we're more of a global community more so than ever before so mm-hmm. in a strange way there's there's the pushback so there's there's the the negative side and then there's where we are which is much more accepting of people's in a lot of ways so interesting that you say that because isn't there reason to believe our school of thought that exists that we are a we come from a nomadic background and as a nomadic background those tribes would com- compete with each other in territories by killing each other killing off the tribe so that you would own that territory or take that territory over so that you have control over those resources and that that time would be res- uh, those resources would be largely food or animals right yeah um but i mean as as humans we have and uh, one of the books I recently read um, was uh, by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. And he uses a lot of history as examples to why we need to use, use obstacles to help better ourselves. But uh, uh, he talks about how we are a violent species. We have violent tendencies. And now... Uh, in, in modern times, we have more control over that than ever, and that we can offset it by things like competition. Um, and so we've come, we live in an age where we're more accepting of a lot more people, but it can also come at a dangerous cost because we are also very close proximity with everyone. Whereas things like if a war were to break out, for example, the, the casualties and just, just like World War II, right? Millions of people died. So if that keeps happening, if we have another world war, it's just only going to be worse and worse and worse, right? There's going to be more casualties. Never gonna get there. Yeah. Because those tribes that take over other tribes, they get bigger and bigger and bigger until now we're literally continents of tribes, if you think about it. If you can think of North America or Canada and the United States as a tribe together, right? It almost seems more so as teams than ever before, but obviously there's conflict throughout the world and there's things. That yeah, and, the, and there's inner happen. turmoil within those tribes, let's well, say, like the states especially these look, days. Yeah, and you look at the U.S. and you're not quite certain if there might be a division again. And I don't know enough about the South and North and Confederates and the, what, what's the other faction? Confederates and... I wish I remembered. I'm not sure. But but you had people who wanted to abolish slavery and people who didn't. And it's funny that there's still kind of permeations through to today's world of that. You have people 
I mean, racism is still very alive in certain parts. And I'm not saying that that's everybody who lives there. You can live in the South and not be racist. Um, you can live in the North and be racist. But th you, there's more tension more so than ever before. Definitely. And we're seeing that. And, and for, you know, um, for so many years, it seemed like we're developing towards a, a, a better future and, and that things are... Well, improving, especially with Obama becoming president, but now you see all these uh, just police using excessive force and causing the death of especially young black males, which has happened since the 90s a lot. I mean, it happened before that, but it was undocumented. Yep. So I'm sure the levels were much more, but it's, it's... And so if you know those things, if you know history, if you understand where things have come from, and where they're at now, you have, I would say, two things. You have more of an appreciation of the struggle that people have been through. And you also understand the current climate of how people are interacting with one another and maybe why some of these tensions still exist. And I find we, we, maybe, we maybe focus a little bit too much on th this very moment, what's happening. And it seems, okay, well, there's these people. Well, there is a whole Nazi uh, display. Where was it in the South in the States? Um, Alabama? No, I don't think it was. Uh, I wish we could look it up here. Anyways. You went to concentration camp for the Germans in the U.S. or? Uh... No, no. Because there was a, in oh. the U.S., there was a concentration camp in World War II for Japanese and Germans. Yeah. So they were kept not, well, if of course, not as bad as uh, what happened in Dachau or Auschwitz, but but it still. was like a place that they kept all Japanese and Germans just because they were Japanese or German. I want to say that Canada did a similar thing in the First World War. And we also had a very interesting way. I, I know we brought in a lot of Asian immigrants to work on the, mm -hmm. the, the, the railway. railroads. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which, I mean, equated by the time it was complete, that there were, on average, was a death per day that that was built. And also, we only brought in males. And only for the duration, and I, I believe most of them were paid under even what was capable to survive. So I read a story once upon a time that was, uh, it, it talked about having their daily serving of rice dotted with soya sauce, literally dotted. But it just, it kind of, it shows you just the, that we as Canadians have not always been perfect. No. And we like to no. play this high and mighty that we're the peacekeepers, we, we treat our own people so well, but there's still struggles within our own country that we need to... Still, to this day. ...to talk about. And yeah, to, and we're not, yeah, we're not all innocent, in, especially when we look back on things like World War II and what Hitler had against the Jews, or the Jewish people. Um, it happened in the States. It happened in Canada, too. You, would, you could walk down the street and there would be signs in certain shops that would say, no Jews allowed. Well, and, and in terms of uh, black rights, you had Rosa Parks. Like, there's segregation. There were on buses, so you weren't allowed to sit on the front of the bus, and she was one of the first. But you had uh, white-only bars, You had, and then you had black-only bars. But those things existed for such a long time. Yeah. I guess that's part of uh, human... That's why I believe that... Uh, no matter what your race or country or religion is, you have the tendency to alienize others 
and just accept your own as the uh, the superior whatever you want to name it for your race religion or anything mm-hmm. and that creates conflict so unless we uh, reach to a certain point that we have we have no countries or no boundaries or no borders not not no boundaries no borders so then these conflicts going to continue because i believe if the blacks i mean the africans have the mm-hmm. power over the whites or the western europeans right they would have done probably the same thing because in africa who sold slaves to the whites the tribes the the chief of the tribe or for very cheap price sold his people for his to own the uh, traders right so uh it's not just, you can't say that okay the uh whites are bad and uh, or Africans are always victimized, and they're always victims. Yeah, they have been victimized. They're victimized big time. They have been uh, treat, treated very bad. Yeah, they've been slaved for hundreds of years all over the all over the uh, world, not just in yeah. not just in U.S. or so in Canada. Let's Everywhere. put that on a global scale. That idea of no borders, no real countries. One, do you, uh, Ben and Riley, do you think that's possible? And if so, what needs to change to make it possible? Think, no, I it's think it's a pretty broad question, yeah. but at the same time, so I think no it's a borders. What could we, how could we make that happen? I don't think it, in a strange way, it seems that the U.S. after the Second World War could have tried to take over some countries. They became a world power and they had nuclear weaponry. And if they decided they wanted to take over certain places, they may have been able to threaten them into some kind of taking over some extra land. But that didn't seem to be their purpose. Mm-hmm. So it seems that we're almost past that in a point of, and there are still wars over borders, and you had the Crimea Peninsula, and, and you had the Russians trying to take it over. Mm-hmm. But you see that less and less. The wars coming up. Well, it's, say, it's no longer a race over owning land anymore, right? We can own resources in another country without having to own yeah. the land. Yep. But that's going to be the cause likely of the next wars is going to be lack of resources. How do we feed our people and what can we use to get it? So unfortunately, those with the biggest fleets of weaponry are going to likely force other countries to give them more resources, causing mass starvation, et cetera. You can hypothesize what would happen from that. So yeah, I I guess it's preparing for almost the inevitable in a way. I guess, and, and maybe that's why the United States still... Uh, puts more spending into the military than any other department and it owns. So to take it away from a grim outlook on the future, <laughs> the other things that maybe we can look positively at are, in North America especially, I would say that we're almost the the test tube or test subject for having populations from all corners of the earth in one place and living I would say in Canada, fairly harmoniously, you don't see, uh, and, and I realize things aren't perfect, and no. I'm not trying to, to. No, in a general sense, you're right. I mean, there are outliers, like anything, but I think yeah. you are right in a general sense. One of the things I said were good people are good people, so you're going to, and bad people are bad people in, the, in a simple sense of the term. But yeah, I think we do a pretty good job of living together and trying to be on the same page and be accepting of, of, diverse and different peoples. Obviously, there's still room to improve and to get better. But 
you know, you see people, it's interesting to see marriage and, and cultures and people coming together um, from different cultures. I, I think they, they hypothesize that in 70 to 100 years, so three or four generations from now, the typical person would look like this. And you, so you see so many people. Right, I remember seeing that, yeah. So you think three generations of people living from all over the world, you're going to have, well, it might not be the way we currently have babies. They might be grown in a lab. But you could essentially take genetics from everybody and, and make humans that have all sorts of mixed characteristics to make us healthier. And yes, that sounds a little bit eugenics, which was a term from the Second World War. But yeah. in, in, in some way, it's, it's how do we go forward as a species and how do we, how do we healthily get to the future and, and what, is, what is human and also how, I'm trying to think of exactly how I want to phrase this. Genetic selection. Yeah, evolve, well, but well there's a, obviously the, the, the scary parts of genetic selection, which, you know, you have one race prefer their own genetic makeup over others. But then you have, well, what could we achieve? We could have superstar athletes. We could have brainiacs. We could have uh, the movie Gattaca. I think I watched that a ton of times throughout yeah. school, but that one's an interesting because we don't seem far away from that. We, we are probably a year or two away, not a year or two, but 10 years away from being able to choose. I, I know it's CRISPR that you can choose your genetic makeup and DNA, yeah. but you know, you could choose your kids not going to have prevalence of heart disease, yeah. cancer. Uh, so you can pick the best genes to give to them. But then, obviously, natural birth would still be a possibility, and that's a little right. bit about so, the movie. Yeah, it raises a bunch of humane concerns for sure, it, and it, in a way, um, I wouldn't call it genocide, but it's like you're—it's the opposite of controlling. So it's almost like saying, "Hey, you who has a family history of cancer can't have kids, but hey, here's a genetic selection that you can choose from of a kid that you can have that will never have cancer." because it's not in their genes, right? Um, so it, it's kind of scary because you're going to have that, what we were just talking about, that segregation of people who are going to be for it and then people are going to be very violently or angrily against it, right? Um, and, it, and it does raise some very interesting questions of... Especially ethics. But it, on some level, I'm sure everyone wants that to some extent, wouldn't you a world without disease without health problems where we all live to a hundred happily. Cool. Yeah. But does it change our makeup as society? We have all these outliers and then, so we're almost forced to, to, to balance in the waters and to make sure that we find our way forward. And is some part of that chaos, part of the, the human experience is maybe what I would say. So back to the, uh, world nation, or the global nation, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess we, we, as as we are now, won't be capable of doing such thing, because to do that, you, I might be, able, I should be able to allow you to take money from my pocket, right? You should be able to come, take money from my pocket, and leave without me saying, "Oh, no worries, I can take it from another person's pocket. I can take it from someone else," because that's what's going to happen. You, other people from other countries, going to come to your home going to build your home, uh, their home beside yours, going to use your resources. Are you, gonna, are, you be, are you going to be able to allow that? 
to happen. So we have to have all be the same. So even in the family, I don't think your brother or sister wants, would allow you to do that. So this is the uh, thing as a species, we are very positive of what we have. Mm -hmm. We don't want to share unless we are sure that uh, we are uh, going to gain something. Or as the, uh, cell, this, the, the term selfish genes. So the closer in genetics you are to me, the more willing I am to allow you to use my resources for yourself. Because that that's, uh, gives the... Uh, it makes me sure makes me guess gives me assurance that my genes mm-hmm. gonna live on and uh to answer uh, so that seems to be like an age old yeah need it seems in in human history yeah right? so that's a, that's what I'm saying unless the, we evolve to something else yeah that is more uh so it goes back individual century ancient times yeah. and to the exactly. kings and right that your heir you want your heir to be someone who's born with your genes essentially uh, it's it's even more than that it's in Throughout the evolution, that's what has happened. So you have every every time natural selection chooses from people. Uh, so I know people don't believe in natural selection, but yeah, but but I do. So that's what my beliefs are based mm-hmm. on. So every time species uh, a generation goes to another one, the better ones, not exactly the stronger ones, not the most beautiful ones, not the one, not the best ones, the ones that fit best. To the environment or to the condition will be uh, will get to leave and transfer the genes. The other ones will not. Right. So it's the same story when it comes to the eugenic, uh, eugenics. The problem is we, not the problem is uh, is the uh, consequence of having a better healthcare, more advanced medicine. So people who would uh, die and would never get to any natural environment, any person with the uh, with the problem in his legs, small problem in their leg, wouldn't be able to leave. They would die because they wouldn't be able to hunt, they wouldn't be able to be gatherers, they would die. So they would yeah. never get the chance to transfer the genes to the next generation. Yeah. But now with better healthcare and everything and uh, social services and uh, social insurance, everything, you, you get to, those people get to leave, yeah, they get to transfer genes. Now. So you will have, it's, it's great but it's not necessarily but, survival of the fittest anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, the, this, so now the game has been. Do I, do, I, yeah. do I have to uh, fix this imbalance by manipulating the genetic, the genetic of the people? Uh, but so it's that what it's almost what so, likely yeah. naturally would have happened. Are we going more so along that road through through science? It's kind of. The, I'm guessing the, we are messing everything up. We are playing God, yeah. right? Yeah. Literally playing God with the word, and then try to fix it when it, everything because this what what we have is a uh, product of billions of years of evolution. So we are, you're changing it in the uh, hundreds of years, and then when everything goes to a, goes bad, you try to fix it by manipulate, manipulating it in another way. Yeah, that's what happens. So one of the things I was also wanting to talk about is the importance of developing an array of skills. So many people, even a lot of the literature focuses on your strengths and says focus on your strengths and develop things from within your strengths. Is this statement helpful? And do enough people challenge you to better your weaknesses or try new things altogether? Uh, This came up a little bit talking to football coaches Mm -hmm. in, in my life and 
talking about how the better football players usually play baseball, hockey, soccer. They, they try a lot of different things, and then it translates to you being a better athlete, which makes you a better football player. Whereas sometimes the mindset is, no, just play football because, and part of that I would say is selfish because coaches don't want to lose them to those other sports. But uh, So I would say the importance of developing an array of skills is important. And, and I do think we force people to go towards their strengths too often. So do you, so you see it as a potential problem by focusing on strength? Yeah, and just to be a well-rounded individual, don't you want to try new things? And shouldn't we be telling people, and not to say, hmm, but everybody has their weaknesses, but you should be a little bit self-critical and say, maybe this is an area that needs focus and this is something that needs development. Yeah. Whether it's social skills, if you're having trouble socializing, talking to people in, in everyday life, Maybe there's things that you can do to change that to become more comfortable. So it's, and so maybe you're a great tech person, but you struggle socially. Should, should we try and influence people to develop those weaknesses a little bit more? Yes and no. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I agree with you partly. Um, as, as someone who has kind of gone through some of that, as I was social, I was socially awkward growing up. I barely went out. I barely, I didn't have a huge group of friends. I had friends, um, but a very cr- close knit group of friends. Um, I could go up to like a month without go- even going out and being social. But that, when I punched that hole in the wall and when I went for the run, like that was part of me changing and me. I've always wanted to, so like inside, I've always wanted to be a more social person. I see social people, it looked like they were happier, so I want to be one of those, even though that may not necessarily be true. I learned, I learned that later on. But yeah, so I agree with that part. So I agree with the part that you're talking about that, yeah, you should try an array of things, but I think you should try an array of things to find your strengths and then focus on them. Because I feel as if if you were to spread yourself too thin, then you become, I guess, what you would call a master of none. And what could have been, right? It's, it's funny because I see that as maybe one of my own personal weaknesses is that I like to do a lot of different things, be challenged in a lot of ways. And I find my attention just gets grabbed to all these different things to where it's, difficult to zone in and actually focus on one thing to work towards and to maybe become a master at or or whatever that that means but if you if you look um especially in the last century at especially business people who became extremely successful they found something that they were good at that no one else was and became really good at doing that one thing and not saying that they weren't good at other things and that they didn't try other things. Um, like Jordan, we were talking about Jordan. He's dipped his feet in many other things. But at the end of the day, we're going to remember him as a basketball player. Like, that's going to be his strength. Oh, I thought you were saying Jordan Peterson. Sorry, not Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Maybe yeah. I should be more specific in that. Um, so, I don't know. I think it's important. And, and I'm in the very same, same boat as you. I have, I have interests... In everything. I'm never bored because of that. I have a background in media. I have a background in graphic design, film, theater, 
I'm a personal trainer. <laughs> like how far I, I've played football, I've played basketball, I've, I've been into sports. I'm a video. I play video games. Like I am a nerd. I watch anime. Like I, and there's always something new that I want to try. I write. I, it's just endless. But I, I feel like I am a good example of someone who is spread too thin. Yeah. I never really found what I was truly good at. But at the same time, I'm happy trying new things. And now, being 30 years old, I'm finally trying. I'm trying to find, and I think I am finding what my strengths are, and focusing on those a little bit more. It's great when all these different things are. I would say nothing is for naught. So it's always good to be doing different things. And especially if you're interested or want to do them, it's going to translate into you feeling more fulfilled. And, and maybe it leads in a certain direction that helps you. What I would say is one of the things that I've been focusing on is a little bit of entertainer. So that's why I want to try comedy. That's why I want to do music. That's why I want to podcast. That's why I want to be in front of people and, and, even coach and, and volunteer and things because it forces me to develop those skills in a lot of different ways. It's being in front of people. It's singing sometimes. So they're different skills, but they all the core towards the core relates. Yeah. There's a correlation. Huh? Crazy. <laughs> Great word. But it's so I would say it's, it's not, it's never a bad thing to go towards something you're passionate about because it, it translates to maybe down the road. Maybe it's not even directly the outcome of that, but maybe five years later you find yourself in, and the skills that you worked on are helpful in that moment. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not saying that you should say no to opportunities that come up because, like, oh, hey, I should focus on this one thing and get really good at this, and this opportunity comes up, I'm going to say no to it. My, I, I tell this to everyone I know, and it's one of my favorite quotes, is you, it's better to have tried and failed than regret not trying at all. Yeah. Um, and as someone who's done that and, and continues to do that, I, I, I believe in it wholeheartedly. Um, I just, there's a part of me that wonders, and so because of, as someone who's all over the place, and, and I like my general sense of knowing a little bit about of every, everything, but maybe not a ton about everything. Like, I like to have that foot in kind of every pool in yeah. some ways. But I always try to – I think back to my childhood, and my parents were very accepting of that and very like, oh, yes, do what you want, and we're going to be very supporting of you. And I, I, I love them for that. But at the same time, like, what if they, like, realized, like, oh, he's really good at this. What if we pushed him towards that? And then I became a powerhouse in that one category. I always wonder, and I feel like – some people do really well in this world because their parents realize that at a young age. Like, oh, you're a good hockey player. Okay, we're going to enroll you in every hockey camp and make you play hockey until you get to college and you get a, a scholarship and continue to play hockey and eventually get into the NHL. That's, that's playing on a strength. But yeah. you're only seeing those who are successful. For every successful one, there are tons that do the same, parents that do the same thing to their child and they end up a mess. True. Yeah. No, you're you're right about that. And then, yeah. And then and then I think people who are in that boat just have to realize that that while well, failure doesn't make you stronger in that category, it needs to make you stronger in another category, right? So you got to find your strength elsewhere. So unfortunately, not everyone survives that that uh, endeavor, um, but those who do, I think, come out stronger for sure. Yeah. True. 
that's what I would say. There's a there's a danger in that singular focus, though, because sometimes, say you're all in in business or hockey, whatever it is, but say you're all in in hockey and something doesn't work out. Well, if your life revolves around that one thing, mm-hmm. I would say in my own life, this is what happened when I got injured and I played football. So I told this story last week or last time, and it kind of crushed me. And I went, what else am I doing? And nothing was basically the answer. And so that's, that's the danger of the singular focus. If you're doing one thing and then it's taken away, especially sport, an injury can happen and then you're done the next day. And you could be done for life. Obviously, medicine and health is, is, we're getting much better at surgeries and things. But if you take that away from somebody, it takes away their whole identity. So it's maybe not the healthiest thing to send people towards one thing and just say, this is what you're good at. This is what you should do. And I would say in a similar fashion, you look at people who are successful in business. It doesn't mean that they're healthy, satisfied in life. Right. So you'd kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, that, that drive and being successful, but then all of a sudden you have millions of dollars and then you have millions of dollars to fuel your vices yeah. and certain, certain negative uh, habits that you might have. So I would say there's a definite danger in doing that. Yeah. I, I yeah. You know what? That's a good point. Um, yeah. It, it can serve to fuel their vices as well. Um which is unfortunate. Um, I just, I guess, coming from a quote from Will Smith, um, uh, one of my favorite quotes of his is, there's no need for a plan B because it distracts from plan A. And so, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I think think there's a varying degree of it that's acceptable, um, but I think there is a such thing as narrowing your focus down too much and then it can ruin the balance in your life of other things, whether it's family and relationships, to I think there is a too wide approach as well as going and spreading yourself too thin. And that Will Smith quote of there's no no need for a plan B because it distracts from plan A uh, comes from where's that where that where I, what I see in it is well, if I fail at plan A, then I can just fall back on plan B instead of getting up and trying plan A again. Yeah. So it's kind of, I take it as a part of it as you're giving up, essentially, instead of you could have had so much more. That reminds me of, I believe it's from Lao Tzu's Art of War, but it's the sure way to win a war, burn all your ships. So when you land at the enemy's territory, Burn all your ships, because then there's only one way back. Win. Victory. Yeah. So, yeah, if you have a plan B, you're already planning for failure. So I I actually kind of agree with that. But I would just say it's too singular focused in one area of life. Look at at sports stars. We idolize them for their, their physical capabilities. But then we think they should be role models for people. Yeah. And there are certain guys, there are certain people, mind you in sport i won't say just guys there's women as well yeah but there are inspirational people and and people that do a lot of great things but then you look at you know drug problems steroid problems the prevalence of uh domestic abuse even murder and cte and brain injuries there's all these 
things that culminate from living in this physical aspect. And I don't know if we should keep people on these, you know, because we kind of expect certain behaviors and you, you see certain behaviors. So why do we expect that, that they are on this other level, that they are these, these inspirational figures that we should try and emulate? I almost think that that's a danger in terms of we tell youth, you're going to be the next Sidney Crosby. But meanwhile, and Sidney Crosby might be one so of those inspirational ones. That kind of falls into one of the points I put on there in terms of mass media ex- uh, driven exceptionalism. So we see the best in people and we tell everybody that's what you should be too. But we fail to see what it takes to get there and the rest of that person's life. So the downfalls in their life. So people that we hold in such high regard as role models, we fail to see the dark places in their life. And many of them, if not most of them, have those dark places. And we learn them. And then this role model who's held into the shining light, say, what's a good example? Neil Armstrong for years and years and years, and then he has brands made after him, the whole live strong thing. And then we find out... You mean Lance Armstrong. Or Lance Armstrong, not Neil Armstrong. I did the same thing. Lance Armstrong. And then we feel... And then we find out that he, in fact, did do steroids. And suddenly it's like this falling star, right? And then you look on the other side of it is... I think it was something like 90% of the other athletes were on the same program that he was. So... So they were, and you can even go back to Ben Johnson in the in the Olympics in, I forget what year, um, but he ended up testing positive. Throughout the careers of seven out of the eight other people that raced against him, seven out of eight tested positive for steroids throughout their career. So again, that's a case of, he likely was just doing it better so than you, everybody around him. I didn't know him. that. You know that. How many people know that? Who was in the spotlight when that happened? Ben Johnson, because he won and he got his medal stripped. There you go. Yeah. So, but that's what people see, right? They see that who's, who's in the spotlight when that happens. And it shows you that, that want to take down number one. Whoever number one is, you want to steal their power, steal their spotlight. And I would say that is a very human response. We, we yeah. want to find a way to take this person down. But people also need to realize that your role models are human too. They don't live this life of exceptionalism on a daily basis. It, I mean, they, you might find out they give to charities and that, but then you might find out another thing. Maybe they have a drinking problem. Maybe they're terrible at their relationships. Uh, maybe they are physically or uh, emotionally abusive to other people. Like, everyone has their vices, their grips, their dark sides to them. It's, and we shouldn't be so surprised as a society to find out about it and hold them up to such a high uh, standard because then we're telling ourselves that we need to help be held up to that standard as well. And, and media doesn't help because they just focus on either the best or the worst. So I'm going to try and keep this to have a couple points to make, and I'm hopefully going to hit all of them. Uh, one of the major things, so remind me about Eastern and Western mentality. Um, one of the things I was going to point out is just different lifestyle flaws. So living too much in the physical realm, so like athletes, professional athletes, and I put the Kardashians too, so very physically oriented, but where do they exist on those other planes? So I said it as intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, and I would say there's a definite lack. If you look at professional athletes, there's not always, because there are certain 
very intelligent athletes and very well-rounded athletes as well. Yeah. But look at the Kardashians. They're somebody who live in a very physical world. And then you have people who live too much in the intellectual realm, which then might lead to physical neglect or succumb to vices. So you have, you have a lot of writers that either were drinkers, smokers, committed suicide, um, even in, in terms of some of the best musical artists also have their vices and their, their issues. Well, yeah, and we used this as an example last time, but think, look at comedians. Many comedians have, have issues with depression most, and drug use and alcohol abuse. And they actually happen to be some of the most sad people. That comedy comes out of a sad place, which is it's interesting, the duality, both sides of the coin. Yeah. So I just wanted to go through the other couple. So letting your emotions dictate your life. This one's a little bit harder to define, but you can easily spot, I, I would say, the people that let emotions rule their life. And it can manifest in a lot of different ways, too. So having, I wouldn't say control, because you could say emotions are uncontrollable, but just knowing your emotions and being able to sense them and yeah. be... I mean, emotions happen, right? I, I've... Um... Was it Joe Rogan? Maybe said this that it, like emotions happen. It's not, you're not supposed to not let them happen. You're not supposed to not be sad. Be sad, but at the same time, take a logical approach to and what you're facing. A more meditative side would say, accept your emotions. So I'm feeling this, but just kind of that that acknowledgement allows you to get back to just a sense of. I would say balance because that's one of the terms I really like to use. But, you know, you, you know when you feel normal or, or you feel kind of satisfied or whatever it is, but getting back to that, I think that, that acknowledgement and just saying, I'm feeling this, but that's okay. Sometimes the worst part is I'm feeling negative because my girlfriend broke up with me. And then you go, then you let yourself live in that pit. And you just go, I'm depressed, I'm sad. And then by saying that, that becomes your narrative. Yeah. And then your narrative takes over. And then, well, then you, you start live f- in that you way. You feel sorry for yourself and you expect other people to feel sorry for you. Um, so, yeah, it's – sorry, go ahead. I, I want to say the last one before we continue. Then there's living too much in the spiritual realm. So being blind to the harm that maybe that spiritual outlook has because it's for the greater good. And blind belief doesn't mean you're enlightened in any way. So believing blindly is being very dangerous. So there are flaws on all ends of the spectrum. And that's why I kind of preach not, and I say preach, funny, funny use of, ter- of, of words there. But that's why maybe we should focus on that holistic development more so than, than singular-minded development. Sure. So the, the balance between the four, essentially, right? And that's how I see it. I'm not saying that everybody has to see it as those four. There, you could come up with, I'm sure, tons more sure. categories. Yeah, but I, I think I, I agree with what you're saying. And, and, and looking at that and at myself, I'm definitely, I feel like I'm good at a couple of those things and not so good at the other ones. So the spiritual side, I tend to ignore uh, for the large part. Uh, I tend to focus on either the intellectual side and the physical side. So it, working out and making sure... I'm physically healthy and intellectually, so reading and just being well-informed. Whereas my emotions, I don't let them rule me, I, which is on one side good, but I also bury them away. So I pretend like they don't happen. So when I'm sad, 
I try to be happy and pretend that I'm not sad instead of letting it happen like you're saying you should. And everybody processes a little differently. And I'd say that's the ideal is to accept the move on and then because that's part of that process. But I would say that that's probably one of the areas I struggle with, too. I think I find it hard. I do bottle things up. Has especially historically in my life been those been one of those downfalls is just not being willing to admit when something's wrong, even to myself. And yeah, I've been through those depressed times and not been able to say it to anyone because you don't want to, you don't want to admit it to anybody. Yeah. And actually one time it took my, my own mother saying you're depressed for me to actually break down and, and to acknowledge it. And I was able to build myself up from that. And yes, I'm not going to say, um, so I, I didn't go to anybody for help with that. And I'm not saying that that's the answer to everybody, Mm -hmm. but I, I had the outlook that things were going to get better. So I knew that I was, and that was my aim was to get better from there. Yeah. And. But I mean, it comes to a point where you can't, when it, when you have a problem that causes your emotions to go to a certain place and you ignore those emotions and that problem, that can just stir. It's not going to go anywhere, right? It's still going to be there regardless of how good other things get. You're going to come back and it's still going to be there. So I don't know. We, I feel like we, uh, especially in today's society, we feel bad about feeling bad. We feel guilty about feeling guilty. Um, and I think on some level, you just got to let it happen. We are, we are human beings after all. We have emotions we're going to succumb to them, to them in some form or another. And if I know I'm bad for this, but ignoring them, it's just going to bring it up in the future in a bigger and more explosive manner. Well, maybe to, to just finish off that point, it seems so important to actually acknowledge the way I was feeling and to, to openly do it to somebody else, even just to have that knowledge that they knew what I was going through and they knew how I felt in that moment allowed me to get past it and to be like, hey, how do we build up again? How do we get back to feeling satisfied? And I would say this was about last, a little bit before last summer, but then flash forward to now, I can honestly say I've had a moment even in the past couple of weeks where I said, I'm the best version of myself in, and I would say every area, which is crazy because I played university football. And so I never thought my physical peak would ever get past a full off season of training and going into the preseason being like, I'm in such great shape. But at that point, I was taking so many supplements and, and a lot of caffeine and all sorts of things like creatine. I had a million supplements. Flash forward to now, no supplements. I'm just working out, eating healthy. And I actually feel like I'm in better overall shape. So I'm sure you could say a couple of the, the different areas, but flexibility, cardiovascular, and musculature, for lack of a better term. But I'm lifting heavier. I'm more flexible. I do yoga. I never used to. And I'm able to run further than probably I could at that point. So that's kind of cool to just see that. But then even to get... um what I was going to say also was, was just that feeling like I wouldn't rather be someone else is kind of a cool feeling too. Like I'm living my best life and there's nobody like 
I, they all have to deal with their own problems, their own issues, their, their own demons, whatever they are. Mm. And I feel like I'm best equipped to deal with my own more so than ever before. And that's an inspiring feeling to have. And I realize it might not last forever. It probably won't. <laughs> you get thrown to the chaos so many times in your life. But it's nice to, to have that acknowledgement of like, hey, we're, we're at a cool place right now. And so I don't know where to go from there, but that's, that's been my experience lately. And so for anybody going through those negative times, if you have your outlook on something and you say this can get better and build yourself towards that, you can get to that point. And I'm not saying I'm the most successful person in the world. I'm not saying that I'm the happiest person in the world. I'm just saying that I'm fulfilled and happy more so than ever before. I think there should always be room for improvement in in areas of our life. Like if we didn't have, if we were the perfect person, then what would there be to be look forward to, right? Well, and that's, so I talked about my vision board, but literally every day being the best version of yourself. And so what does that mean? It means, well, yeah, you might compare yourself a little bit to yesterday. It's like, what did I accomplish today? How, how am I furthering my, myself? How am I getting better at different things? And yeah. And I think on the flip side too, it's also worth mentioning and worth looking at the what's holding you back, not necessarily what can propel propel you forward, but what's dragging you. What baggage do you have, whether it's financial or emotions or something that an obstacle that you need to deal with that you just keep putting off because you want to focus on something else. So that critical self assessment to to actually say what is it that I'm doing that needs to change? What is it that needs to get, what habit do I have that might need to change, whether it's to quit smoking, whether it's to stop watching 10 hours of TV a day, you know, you, and you have to be critical and everybody has, and, and everybody's been through periods of time in their life where they've been guilty of all sorts of sure. different, different things. So yeah, it's just, it's. And you have to accept it first. You, ac- you have to accept that that's the issue that needs to be overcome and that, it happened because of what you've done or because of where you are. I think that's, that's very important to, to come to terms with yourself and where you are because of what you've done or the choices that you've made good or bad. Um, and be able to, and through that become a better person. Um, it's, and it's not easy. And I, I don't think it should be easy. Uh, because the the hard things that are that we overcome in our lives tend to be the things that shape us for the better. Yeah. <laughs> got okay, a little so, heated there. Yeah, we got into it. Uh, Woo! <laughs> we can talk about happy, happy, good times no, no. too. The interesting when uh, last time Jay said that uh, he has been struggling with being overweight and he lost. It. So I, it happened to me too. So I used to be like uh, 150. Not pounds, kgs. <laughs> and so it's over 200 pounds. Yeah. And then I lost that. And I think I should mention, I need, I, I need to do everything my own way. So if you come and tell me that this is the way to do this thing, I'm not going to do that. So there's, there's that need so of my, yeah, control Everything over has life, to right? be done my way. So I do yeah. everything my way, even when I'm doing experiments. So, so that's the... Uh, one of the most strict areas you have to be areas that you are gonna you have to be you 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 should deal with because if you change a small thing, 
you're not going to get the answer. So I kind of mastered it through my uh, years of struggling with these kind of things that you, to do everything my own way and still get the same result even better. So I lost, I lost like uh, 50 kgs, over 100 pounds. Oh, good for you. Yeah, and then I became like, uh, nine, I gained some, you can see I gained some of it back. But still, I'm now if my heart condition is very too good. So for man, for someone my age, and, and I believe the problem was is and was that uh, I think it still is that people tell you that okay, you're fat and you have to lose weight, right? They they tell you all the time. Sure. Even when you're, I, I was I was not the uh, I was. I was always into. I was in sports. I was. I was doing like. A, later in life, I uh, quit all of them, and I got super fat because mm-hmm. of that. Because when you like, you, you all know, you have, if you exercise a lot and then suddenly you quit, you're gonna gain weight, even if you eat much less than you used to, because your body needs that. Uh, your body replaces the, the muscle tissue fat. Yeah. Because it doesn't need that muscle, it's uh, very costly to keep up with that that much of muscle. But then uh, everyone tells you you need to lose weight, but and you get ridiculous goal, you get bullied. I wasn't an easy target to be bullied, but still. So and no one tells uh, other ones. Okay, you you shouldn't make fun of. You should use weight, and you shouldn't make fun of that 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 person or. But now, everything has changed. It has changed in the sense that okay, you are uh, you're fat. It's okay. You are. It's not okay. But it's not for others to tell you huge, if it's okay or it's not. Huge pet peeve of mine yeah. in today's society. Um, um, however, before <laughs> get onto that tangent, um, I'm kind of interested. Um, you losing weight, did you do it for health reasons or did you do it because of like social norms? Both. Both. So I had this. So okay. you wanted to stop being people bullying you? Yeah, because I thought, okay, I, I'm, uh, I'm not, the, let's say, I'm not Brad Pitt, but I'm not ugly. I'm not, uh, let's say, uh, the best athlete you can see, but I, I'm a strong man. So let's just lose that weight and see what happens. So I said, okay, uh, from now on, I'm just going to eat half a meal a day. So very uh, cold turkey, if you would say. And I lost that much weight in like six, seven months. Wow. That's incredible. And I kept it for, and I kept it for five or six years. I, well, later, I gained some of it back because I you get busy with school and everything, and you can't exercise, obviously, as much. No, I and completely understand. In, right now at the Benetton campus, if someone hears me, Make a better gym there. It's 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 horrible compared to what they have in say in the uh, Manitoba Fort Garry campus. And you, so it's not yeah, they're yeah. huge, massive. Yeah, it's huge, and there are lots of friends. But new. yeah, but it's a small basement in Valentine campus. I used to work out at the Gritty Grotto at the U of M. Yeah, that was, I remember that. that. Was a dingy basement. If <laughs> that it felt like a gym though, like it it felt like what you would classify as like a gym you would see in a movie or something. It's, it's funny that you had that experience too, because it was something between the asbestos and the ceiling. <laughs> the fact there was no natural light at all. The inevitable and, cancer. Yeah, exactly. And then being in the athlete's room that literally had no way of air coming in. So it was maybe a fan, yeah. but it would get so dingy in there, especially in summertime. Oh, yeah. 
oh, you just sweat profusely. Not but, to mention the the light, the fluorescent lights, and yeah, the, that's like, that's spotlights. horrible. You feel like you're you're exercising when and you're because of all that heat. Yeah, your your vision gets narrow, and then you have these fluorescent lights. You feel like you're in a prison cell. Yeah, it's so funny because I think to me and Jace that that just is the is the mindset you want to be in to work out. If you're lifting heavy, you kind of want that prison mentality. Like I talked about yeah. prison arms earlier. So, yeah. yeah. That, that feel, the, that heavy uh, feeling your muscle is fine, but feeling in a prison cell, <laughs> not much. There's only one escape. There's, <laughs> there's, it's, it's ironic, but there is something appealing about it. Um, as In the gym I work in right now, it's... They've made a bunch of changes, so it looks really nice in there, and I, I like it in there a lot. It has windows, so sunlight gets in. But I, a part of me, it, it's it feels too commercialized. It's yeah. too nice, right? I like I need that grittiness. Yeah, and so a part of me misses it. So when I yeah. started working out, it was the uh, the uh, first or third floor of a very old building in Malaysia. So remember, so you can imagine Southeast Asia. It's always humid, even with air conditioner on. So I started in that kind of gym, and then later we transitioned to these uh, chain, uh, like, you know, like, there's not, like, I think one of them is here, like, Anytime Fitness is, is some of, one of them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. but they are, they have many other ones that mostly Australian brands, I guess. There's so many chains. Yeah. Um, and it just keeps growing. <laughs> yeah, and they, it, it, it didn't feel the same. Yeah, I mean, and then you got the, the, uh, the box model, I guess, uh, gyms now like Snap Fitness anytime yeah. falls in that category too, where it's very small, um, but very clean. Everything is like unicolor or unisync in color. Uh, and it, uh, I saw that. <laughs> I just yeah, wanted you. to stick my tongue out that, at the camera <laughs> just one time so that people can, uh, can know that that's working. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I guess, I don't know, uh, gyms now, they're very commercial sense, and there's, you have the color palette, right? The Good Life Fitness is red, it's the red, the Anytime is probably, what, purple, I guess, uh, snaps purple red, with too. Purple little guy, mm-hmm. with yeah. little yeah. kind of stick guy. And then you go in, and then the equipment's that color, too, right? <laughs> Everything's that color, the weights are that color. So it's kind of like a McDonald's idea of business. Every very, so I, I, I used to joke, okay, I first when the first time I was in Malaysia, I couldn't eat the local food. So thanks God for McDonald's. But it's true because whenever you go to a McDonald's store or Starbucks or any uh, any kind of these chain uh, brands, you, you feel like, okay, this is like home because it's familiar. And that's what they do. That's why everywhere in the world you go, the store looks the same. People are dressed the same. And the same thing is offered to you. So you feel like at home, you we don't be as... We don't like to, uh, especially when it comes to food, we need that comfort and familiarity. We don't want strange things. Unless you're actually trying to try, you're going to for strange things, we try to stick to things that you know yeah. because it scares you. So I would say that's branding and branding. Yeah, exactly. Identity, that's which branding. Is, which is really important, though. You want to have some kind of noticeable similarities, if, especially if you're a chain or franchise. But even as a smaller business, you want to get your image out there so people attribute whatever your accomplishments, whatever your product is to you. Yeah. So there's a definite purpose to that good is, life having red or, or anytime having purple. And that you, is capitalism you in a nutshell. The interesting side of that is then the, the psychology of different colors use and, and the things that it makes you feel. So McDonald's, I, I know red's a 
I mean, you think of passion and or you could think of blood, I guess, if you're really crazy. Yeah. But I mean, but it's it goes either way on red. Kind of that passionate life and living. And then yellow is similar to gold, I think, so yeah. that you think of money. And red is also the color that attracts uh, attention more than any other mm-hmm. color. Because we think stop signs. Yeah. So you're going to look at it, and and it's usually vibrant, especially in McDonald's case. Yeah, yeah and it, it, it increases your appetite when the room is blue, or uh, that's why... Blue also is more yeah. calming. Yeah, uh, so you don't feel like eating a as bit. much. Yeah, so that's why I say, okay, when you're trying to lose weight, don't go to somewhere that's too dashy. Yeah, and then don't um, eat there. Eat somewhere calming. Yeah, so I think blue and green are more calming. Green is more attributed to like nature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, blue to like water, whereas red is like fire. Right. Yeah. Any other notes on this before we head along to the next? Uh, I forget no. how we set off on this whole tangent. <laughs> it's so great. This it's fun to have these conversations. No, yeah, but yeah, just just the last thing is that I think the society tells you to be strong and also tells you, okay, if you're bad at something, it's okay. Be proud of being bad. I I feel that's wrong. Right. But it's not for others to tell me that's wrong. It's for me to decide. So instead of promoting the values, you're promoting. Uh, I don't know what to say. They're promoting figures. So they, that's why athletes come in. They, they promote, okay, this athlete is, is a glorified athlete. He's best in this and this. But they never tell you because of uh, most athletes get to in, uh, sport when, in the young, in, when they are very young. And they never get to learn this day how to manage their money. So they suddenly, the guy's 18, 17. He has millions of dollars. And that's what, that's, if I was that age and I had like five hundred dollars, I would have many of the problems the guy that guy has. Yeah, that's such a a reality. You look at you look at the demographics and the people that end up making it to. I look especially at the NFL and the NBA. Sometimes you come from tough backgrounds. There, I mean, in certain cases gang affiliations or whatever, or at least yeah. you experience that around you. And so to go from, and living in, um, I, I'm trying to think of the correct term, but just below ideal living circumstances in some cases. And so you you make your money how you can, you spend it on also what you want a little bit, but then you get to a point where all of a sudden You've made it to the pinnacle of your sport and you get millions of dollars. Well, what are you used to? You're used to buying what you want or just trying to fuel that lifestyle that you're living. And so that's why it becomes this. And kind of what I I talked about a little bit earlier, like that social conditioning says you want things. So now you have money. You can buy things. You can buy that beautiful house. You can buy five cars. You can get that pretty girl. You You can do all those things. And so... There's a, I would just say danger in that. We, we. So that's um, one of the books I recently read um, talks about that and wanting being materialistic that way and having goals that require objects that are not scalable. So goals of achievement, um, getting to a certain place in life, can always grow into something else. So that way they, it's can you can always extend it into something else, which is what you want according to the book, anyways. Whereas a goal of a material, so a goal of a house, I want to get this house. I want to have money so I can buy this house. That 
I mean, it's a goal. It may be a good goal. That's have one year goals anyways, but the problem with it is, is it's not scalable. Once you have that house, you have that house. It's a, it's an object in your life. Um, you can't make, I mean, I guess you can build onto it or something or you can improve upon it, but it's at the end of the day, once you have that house, that's the end of that goal. You can't expand it into something else. Yeah. It's, it's funny on a, on a different level, you look at houses and, and I would say a lot of people's character can be judged by their, the way their house is. And it's not, it's not to say I'm going to judge somebody for how big their living space is or whatever. Obviously, there's certain, a lot of things people accomplish, it's status symbols, right? So having a mansion is, is, is more a status symbol than anything. But if your house is clean and things are in order, you can usually take from that that somebody's life is in order and they're, you know, they have things together at least enough to clean up their house. And I never really realized Unless they that. have a mate. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, a lot of successful people do. And so, but part of that is they can afford to have somebody yeah. to then take care of those tasks that they don't want to do themselves. I was just a joke. <laughs> oh, no. But um, it's definitely a real, a, a, a reality of that too. And... Where was I going with that? That's always the question. <laughs> but before but, you, yeah, oh, right. So just in terms of houses and, and keeping them clean. But I would say I, I, as a teenager, I was the worst. My clothes were just everywhere. And I'd be like, well, it looks clean. Okay, the socks smell clean, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, this shirt I haven't worn, so we're good. But Sounds like my life now. Yeah. But it's funny now because I almost take pride on that more so than ever before. I'm not saying... Jace, get your get your s together. <laughs> I don't know if we should swear on here, but um, yeah, that was going to be a talk up or was a, a topic I listed, and maybe for a future uh, episode. Yeah, no, that's fine. But uh, definitely something: the history of profanity and Ooh. why or why it oh, not may not be that's acceptable. Juicy. So, today. a little tidbit for the future for yeah. you listeners out there. I do have one more thing. I kind of want to leave people on a on a good note. And positive and happy and, and even um, something in, hopefully inspirational. But I wanted to talk about our favorite professional development book or talk about some medium or something that has led to growth, whether it's a podcast, media, or a teacher, and maybe a couple of key concepts or themes that you took from that. There's, I mean, there's a lot, especially in my life. Um... Um, I'm, I've recently been getting into the whole personal development books. Um, that's that's within the last year. Um, I've I've also just discovered Audible, and it's not a plug for their app or anything. But I've I've never thought myself to be uh, to be able to listen to audiobooks because I'm not an auditory uh, learner. I learn usually visually, so I need to read um, or see pictures of of a sort. And um, it's actually working out though. And I, I love Audible. I actually just got it a week ago. Yeah, a week and two days ago, I got Audible, and I finished two books. And, and that's so when I read books, I read slowly. So I finish a book a, a month usually because I got to sit down, I got to read, I got to dedicate time to reading that book. Nice thing about Audible is that I can go on my way to work, I can listen to a chapter while I'm cooking at home, I can listen to another chapter while I'm writing notes for the podcast, I can listen to a bit of an uh, a book or. While I'm working out, I can listen to some books. So it's, I've been able to get to two large-sized books 
uh, on personal development. Uh, the one which I've been constantly uh, naming today, uh, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, which is uh, a very interesting book, uh, very much on stoicism and just kind of identifying the obstacles in your life and rather than ignoring them, dealing with them so that you can move on with your life and become a better person and finding something through those obstacles that, that maybe you can use to better yourself. It's interesting because we talked a lot about those topics today. So right, yeah, so it kind of lends into that. Yeah, it's great that you have that knowledge base to, to, to grab those ideas from, too. Um, Benjamin, do you have a specific book? Um, well, I, as I said, I like to do things my own way, so I don't like personal development books. For me, they don't work. But uh, I have read many other books that shape my beliefs and ideology. They, it might sound like very geeky. Well, I'm a geek, so. The smartest person in the room. No, 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 no. Clearly. No, no. Neuroscience. No, no, no. So, yeah, it's, well, it's not about uh, what you read. It's about how you lead your life. So at the end of the day, it's not how, I'm not, I'm not saying that. So I'm sure your uh, your IQs are uh, if are the same, if not higher. No, without. But I, it's I take you, no offense yeah. either way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> well, and, and besides, yeah, and, and I don't believe in uh, I'm the smartest person because I do this or that. So, but the uh, one I, I'm terrible with names. So I had to I your name if I if I I hadn't seen your name. You many times on my phone, I wouldn't remember. <laughs> so it's all yours. Yeah, so I, I, I apologize for not remembering the author's the, the author's name. So the first one was the doc, the talking ape. So it's the uh, evolution of human language. So it shapes you because it gives you the idea. Although everything might change, I think the the talking ape. Maybe you can search the, the talking ape. Oh. Yeah, so maybe that's. Talking a book. Robbins Burling. Yeah, I can't. I think, yeah. There we go. Yeah, I think. And the other one was the uh, Gems, Germs, Guns, and Steel, which is the story of humans. It's, it talks about our, so we have Western, coloni- uh, Western colonizing, Western powers colonizing most, people, most countries in Asia and uh, uh, Oceania, like. Am I, am I pronouncing right? Australia and the New Guinea and all yep. these yep. New Zealand, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, are they actually smarter than the natives? Are they the same? What makes what gives them the power over those people? So, and it argues, no, they are not the same. They are the same. They have the same. If you take one child from there and put it there in Western in Western society in that time, it would behave the same way. And those people behave the same way. So it's a matter of a different thing. So I don't want to spoil that book, but it yeah. shapes you the ideology of, uh, without being too specific on uh, scientific terms or stuff, shapes your, ideolo- shapes your ideology in a different way, which I believe is, is the uh, better way. What's the name of that book again? Guns, Germs, and Steel. Okay. I've heard a lot about that one. It is on my... It's a very, yeah, it's a very famous book. Another book I'll have to add to my list, which is seems to be growing um, rapidly, faster than I can read through them. So, 
And I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm terrible with listening. I, my, so I'm listening. I, so when I was listening to the podcast, I had, I, I was, I, I realized, oh, 30 minutes is gone. I'm drifted away somewhere else. I'm thinking about something it else. Yeah. It even happens to me. And then you got <laughs> yeah, to time rewind. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I would say that's natural for everybody. And I would say I'm pretty forgetful too. I don't know if it was one well, too I many think, years of football, but I think, no, I think it has something to do with your, you can only take in so much at a time, right? We're not built to to constantly take in from absorb information, so you're not going to remember everything that you hear or see. It's. I wish I could access that at will. That would be, that crazy. Would be absolute yeah. insanity. Um, so I'll talk a little bit. I, I mentioned Lao Tzu's Art of War. It's a very short mm-hmm. one, and it is. I would recommend reading that. Also uh, on my list. Yep. <laughs> it's it's worth it, is what I would say. It's just nice to see that perspective. But one of the, the favorite ones that I've read is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And basically, it's the ideology that you start with the reason. You start with the why behind something before you develop it. So in terms of an analogy, you think of a car salesman's not going to be very effective if they go, well, this is a blue car and it's $70,000 and it has a big V8 engine. Nobody's really going to buy that. But if you say... Well, and especially if you get to know the person and their lifestyle, you go, well, this is your lifestyle and this is going to fit what you want to do. And this car has power because you want a Mustang or whatever it is. But this car is powerful and, and it's, it's going to roar when you drive it and it's going to be the status symbol and it's going to make you feel great when you drive it. You ever wonder why car ads are like, the feeling is amazing. <laughs> well, that's why, because you really want to start with well, why would somebody want to test drive or even get into your car? And so if you develop something with that in mind, you're more likely to be able to reflect that. So that's why cars almost have personalities, and it's very much the narrative that they build around them. And that was maybe some small examples that he gave. He also talks a lot about Apple as being, why did Apple become so successful? Well, it's even down to their symbol. It's take the bite out of the knowledge like the bite out of the apple, which is funny because it's biblical yeah. in, a, in, a, in a couple ways. But, Interesting you know, that the, knowledge. It seems like a lot of personal development books actually talk about Steve Jobs and Apple and why they're so successful. And uh, even the the one by Ryan Holiday, I believe he acknowledges Steve Jobs and it, it came down to just him being such a perfectionist and always about detail and just the cut above and, and giving people – um, rather than trying to make the cheapest product, giving people what they want. So in terms of, but at a, a reduced cost to himself. So like, how can I mass produce glass? So that's why iPhones have glass on them, right? Rather yeah. than plastic. And because he wanted that feeling of it being premium. So he always wanted his products to seem premium in people's hands and always found a way to make it cheaper so that the competition had to dish out more money just to keep up with Apple. And it's, it's funny now because there was obviously Microsoft kind of became the first, especially in business oriented, it became so successful and Mac kind of trailed along as this, and I wouldn't say that they were behind. There were kind of those moments where Mac were great, but everybody had, I would say uh, they would run windows throughout the nineties. And then all of a sudden there was this shift because it seems that there was What's the person? And it was the personal home computer was was Macintosh's idea, and then you had 
the other side of things, which was more business oriented, you had Windows. Windows, yeah. But now, because everybody has a laptop at home and everybody wants access to the internet and things, so they had the foresight to have that vision and to say, well, I'm going to make this accessible and make it um, make it so that everybody can use it, whether it's a go. child yeah. or your grandma. Can, Accessibility. Can click yep. this easy button. So That became Apple's calling, right? So that's a little bit of their vision. Actually, there's a great ad that, that was in the Super Bowl, but it's, it's kind of funny because I see it as a, a little bit, um, trying to think of the term, but it's a little bit backwards to look at it now. So what it is is uh, that George Orwell's 1984 book. One of my favorite books. So it's kind of an Orwellian uh, utopian society where everybody is the same and, you know, the cameras are everywhere. Wait, are you talking about the commercial? The commercial. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the lady in red runs up to the screen of this talking head and she smashes it with a, a giant, I don't want to say mallet or something, kind of like Thor's hammer. Um, I think she throws it at it, right? Yeah. What? It does. Yeah, she does. She yeah. smashes the screen. She, I'm she just trying to think of what it was. Yeah. So it's breaking through the monotony and, you know, Big Brother, you know, kind of being the, the, the fighter for an individuality and being that source of inspiration and things and, and going against the grain very much so. And now it's funny because you see, well, Apple's on every single table and they're such a monopoly and they have access to so much information and they collect so much information. And, and so it's funny that all of a sudden, well, and, and they've even through, uh, uh, what's his name? from the cia so uh, it was that movie snowden edward snowden. Snowden. snowden so in the snowden movie we well movie and through that case he's a real person too yeah. not just the movie but we found out that the cia is using computers to spy on people basically everybody in the u.s but probably and beyond so it's funny that they're fighting big brother but all of a sudden computers especially but even max have that that capability of spying on you yeah. and actually being big brother so that's why so i see it as especially now we're closer to 1984 than ever in terms of and well it, we're but, past 1984 yeah, <laughs> yeah really it's actually almost become socially acceptable that are just acceptable to society that we've come to terms with yeah the government's spying on us yeah big whoop what's what's the next big thing that's it's so funny to have that outlook <laughs> Any major thoughts? Anything um, to say? Um, either professional development, life? Uh, I kind of wanted to bring, so we, brought, we talk about books, but I also want to bring movies as, as I went to f- school for film, and film is a huge part of my life, um, and also kind of a big turning point. Um, I don't really have a specific film that kind of changed my life, but it's just film in general um, as a medium. Um, and I guess if I had to bring up any of them, um, Walter Mitty comes to mind and everybody hates this film and it's fairly new too. And it's just about this guy that works for time magazine. Um, and, uh, Ben Stiller, he's the, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a fairly serious movie, but it, it, it takes a very, uh, creative approach to changing your life. And that's why I love it so much. It's very far out there. He works for Time Magazine, but he works uh, in dealing with uh, developing the uh, negatives for pictures that are taken by 
uh, one of the photographers who lives this amazing life for Time Magazine and travels around the world taking all these amazing pictures. And he just, he imagines himself living that life. But all he does is work in the basement of Time Magazine building. And eventually it comes to, well, he sent in Time Magazine's closing. So they got a, this one still from the photographer that they need to publish on the, on the front cover of Time Magazine. But it's lost. And Ben Stiller's character doesn't have it. So he's forced to go on this kind of crazy trip, not around the world, but to like Greenland and Iceland and to other countries in order to find it and kind of find himself in the process and what he wants to do and be able to break out of his social norm, out of his uh, kind of just stagnant life and become something more out of it. And I've seen the movie probably 10 times now and I watched it two times in a row when it first came out and everybody looks at him like it's, it's unrealistic, but I'm, to me it's the message that's trying to get across that you have to take chances and take risks in order to do what you want. And sometimes your dreams have to be big and you can't be afraid to dream big. Yeah. So it comes back into what I was saying with Will Smith. You can't, uh, there's no reason for plan B because it distracts from plan A. How wholeheartedly do you believe in plan A? And, and a lot of people will argue, well, what if plan A fails? But then if you truly believe in plan A and you want to make it work no matter what, then it should work. Here's maybe the, the takeaway from that is have a plan A, but maybe have an in-depth plan A. So what does the ideal life look like? Not maybe just that one thing, because I don't think anybody can be satisfied. Well, yeah, I could work for, I could be the president of Time Magazine, but does that mean I have life together, all these other things, right? So it's what are your core things that will make you happy and fulfilled? Maybe not, yeah, happiness is kind of a a funny term now, because it's like if you're happy all the time, would you really value the rest of life you're happy and you know it clap your hands clap clap benjamin are there any movies that really stick out as having a profound effect on you my for now my all-time favorite movie v for vendetta yes yes that's a good example so it's it it, i know it has its own flaws and but right from beginning all to the end it's uh it kind of i have watched it like more than 10 times and back to back so because it's uh, it's inspiring. It tells the story of what you, especially because you 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 live in Canada. So you for you it's not very easy to imagine that world living in kind that kind of world. So with my background, I'm not I, I because we're coming from Middle East. So everything everyone t- t- thinks of Middle East as one big country. That's that's a big lie. It's like thinking of even. U.S. and U.S. and Canada, with all the differences, are more similar than every country in the Middle East are together. Ex- hmm. And we are, let's say, except for uh, except for I think Iran, the rest, especially Iran, is different from the rest in the sense that uh, we had two for I think in hundred and more than hundred years we had like two revolutions, and both for for freedom, not just for economical reasons or these kinds of both, to have more freedom, to limit the, the power of the person who is controlling everything. And both almost ended badly mm-hmm. for various reasons. But I feel that living under the constant, uh, being watched, how, what does it mean to being watched by people you don't know? Being watched by people who are look the same as you and I. 
or even engage in the same conversation. Or if you try, if someone tries to defend the government, they actually come and speak against them just to lure people in and try to gain information. So yeah. it's like what I feel like to happen to the country I was, I was living in. So you'd be living in the same country, in the same, very similar country, and then this might happen. So that's very um, dreamy, but... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, V for Vendetta, it's a powerful message yeah. in there. And interesting about that film, too, is uh, we never learn the true identity behind <laughs> the masked yeah. man, Guy Fox. So it can be anyone, any um, one of us. Exactly, and that's the whole point, right? It is everyone, and that's why you see at the end everyone's wearing the mask, right? Because everyone is him, and he is mm-hmm. everyone. True, true. Yeah. I don't think I fully comprehended the whole movie when I watched it last. Because when it came out a, a while back. 2004? Yeah. yeah like early I watched 2000s. it in 2008. I wasn't I old enough it. to understand some of the concepts in the, yeah. at that time. I watched it again. myself too yeah. much. Yeah, definitely watch it again. It's, um, it's held in high regard both just for its storytelling and just in filmmaking in general. It is really well shot, really well written, really well and acted. And the, the other the book with another book. Now that we are in the same, the animal farm. Yeah. 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 So that, so that change, so it's, it, it actually applies to any revolution all around the world. You can actually find individual people or groups and assign them, okay, this is the pig, this is the horse, this is the, these are the sheep. Yeah. My movie. Yeah, yours. Yeah. Riley's movie. Does this have to have been, it led to some kind of development? I don't because it's more. There are two movies that stick out. One is Billy Madison. It's because I know it word for word, and something about nice. it is my childhood, my family, my brothers and sisters. My brother, sorry, brothers and sisters, brother and sister. I only have one of each, and so we we would watch it. I think for one time we watch it every day coming home from school for about two weeks. Wow, <laughs> I don't know why. And uh, I think we can all quote it word for word. And obviously, it's 90s Adam Sandler, so it's the best Adam Sandler. And there was something charming about him back then. For sure. And this story really, I mean, he goes through school again as a kind of a reject adult who never really grows up because his dad comes from a, uh, has a fortune in hotel business. And so he wants to take over the business and yet he has to go through school and prove that he's smart enough and driven enough to actually do it. And it leads to some life change, but it's just funny and it's enjoyable. And it's just seeing kind of the fun side of life and being a kid and how, and and it was his journey of growing up, but kind of all of our journey of growing up. And so it was, it was inspirational in that way, but it's mostly just for laughs. (laughs) And then the other side, I would say the movie avatar and Ooh, okay. it's funny because people have very mixed reviews even on it. But what I would say is the accomplishment of it was transporting us to a different world. And yet it was still a reflection of our world in a lot of ways. So it was, yeah, it was kind of sci-fi, but it was just the beauty of even the vegetation in that movie. Mm-hmm. The fact that was, some of it was glowing at night and there were all these different creatures that were somewhat earth-like creatures but on a different planet and and just seeing the intricacies and beauty of 
building kind of a, a, a culture, an alien culture, but represented of our world culture too. So yeah, and, and it really just points out a lot of even issues that we're going through with our own world in terms of resources and the fact that we're willing to basically take over and or uh, we will invade anywhere that has resources that we need. Yeah. And especially coming from, I mean, you can say Canada's not completely guilty, but the Americans sure like to go places and for resources. So it's, uh, yeah, I would just say that the message from that movie, like it's appreciating the beauty of, of other cultures. And especially, I think this, this also about what we've spoken about previous in this conversation there's beauty in every culture and so to see that beauty and especially when you're immersed in it or when you when you meet people from different cultures and you are at least respectful enough to have those conversations you can usually find some kind of common ground and that message throughout that movie but that was even something i really wanted to say in having that conversation is like there are great people all across this world and we need to get to that place where we're we're striving for better and we're we're helping each other more so than hurting each other and what is the best way i don't know it's there's so many different areas that we have to address but it's uh it's a process it's a process and and depending again i'll say this depending on the day of week i might have a different outlook but it's 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 a beautiful place to be on this earth. And so treating each other better and the planet and, and everything that we can within it would be in our best interest. Yeah. I agree. It's awesome. So um, on that note, it's probably been uh, yeah, a couple hours now. Uh, we're just a minute and a half under the two-hour mark here. Uh, we should probably start closing it off, talk about a uh, our social media maybe a little bit here yeah that was the one thing we were going to leave you with so closing thoughts for the day uh check out the meetup.com web- website if you're interested in coming down and even participating in some of these discussions we typically meet at a local coffee shop uh there's one coming up next week hopefully this episode will be up but we aim often for once a month so we get together and just talk about similar subjects and and uh, our experiences and, and maybe some things that have led to our development and even the struggles that we've been through as well. But uh, those are always very rewarding. And the other side of things, so we've also have up our social media pages. So check out Be The Change YPS, either on Facebook or Instagram. And also, if you have any feedback or any ideas or questions for us, you can reach us at B dot the dot change dot yps at gmail dot com dot dot <laughs> and well am i gonna say period yeah but no it, it works it works <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> nobody knows a typewriter anymore um also yeah that so we're still working on getting the podcast distributed to as many services as we can it's available on most things now it's on google play music itunes uh anchor is where it's mainly distributed youtube but uh, YouTube as well. It's on there, and we'll have video for the first time ever. Yeah, um, which hopefully we'll keep going and keep improving on. Um, and we're still working on the. We I do want it on Spotify. Um, that is a bit of more lengthy process. As Spotify tends to be a little more strict in terms of what content makes it on there. 
So hopefully in the future, look for podcasts on Spotify as well. Well, on that note, we hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, bear with us as we go through this process of becoming podcasters and getting comfortable and making mm-hmm. sure audio works and even having that uh, those pages filled with information for you and, and hopefully even things that can help you out with your experiences as well. So on that note, uh, we're Be The Change, and thank you for listening. All right, farewell. Thank you. Au revoir.